So I, there's a ton of fun stories from this week, but uh, the outburst down here. Um, so, so at camp, there was, there was almost 800 people. When I went to this camp years ago, it only held about 250. I mean, you can only house about 250 there, and there was about 750 to 800 kids there this week. Uh, they're going to run 18,000 kids through Cedarmore and Jonathan Creek at crossings this year between students and children. Um, it's unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. And uh, our kids got to be a part, and there were some things that they loved. Typical, typical kids. You go down the list of 18 of them, and 17 of them said the wreck lake. Right, you know, the blob, the tubing, the wreck lake. They've built this lake with a zip line that six people can hang on at a time down in it. Uh, two, two water slides, one slide that puts you up in the air, two blobs, partridge in a prayer tree. It's really cool. That's just one thing. Um, so, so in the morning celebration, they are just, I mean, and I, I give props to their staff. Their staff looked like they, they had intravenous uh, monster beverages, all right, and just, uh, 18 hours a day, they were bouncing and screaming and loving kids, and they, they were polite, and they were servants, and they did an amazing job. That was probably my favorite part of the week was the, the college and, and career-age servants. They were phenomenal, all right? And they were great to our kids. So they do this morning celebration, and they have this competition where they call youth ministers up from each thing. It just names pop up on the board, and three youth ministers have to come on down like the price is right. And so day one, they do this thing and they have this trivia game and then they give out this bright orange vest that's the YMOD, the Youth Minister of the Day, all right? So the second day, the names come up and it was something, something and Tim Lettingham. Of course, they hadn't switched that. So the kids are like, Craig. So I had to go up on the stage and I'm like, come on, bring me some of that trivia. Bring me some of that Bible trivia. Bring me some of that uh, Price is Right type games. And they bring out six five-gallon buckets. Y'all probably saw some of the video there. You just probably couldn't tell it was me because there was somebody standing in front of me. They bring out these five-gallon buckets, right? And about 150 or 200 chacos, those, those flip-flop sandals from all of their staff, right? And the challenge was you had to pick the two five-gallon buckets and hold them like this. And they started filling them with those shoes. Filling them. And the person who stayed holding it the longest was the youth minister of the day. And so there's this guy, you know, 240, stocky, not muscular, but stocky, and, and a fairly athletic, you know, woman, and then, you know, scrawny McScrawnerson, all right? And uh, so they put those things, they fill them up, we're standing there, I'm like, oh boy. But I'm thinking to myself, I am not losing I am not losing. And my, my shoulders started to hurt, and the kids are now cheering, laughing, and it's so funny. My son says, he didn't work out 150 days in a row for nothing because <laughs> I had just finished 75 hard on Saturday, all right? And so, yeah, anyway, I won, and that's why they were... That's, the girl... It was really rough, though, because the girl went out, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm not getting last place. They picked up her buckets and started putting them in ours. I mean, this is a minute into this thing. But, yeah, and then they YMOD, Youth Minister of the Day, but I got a gift card, and I had to wear an orange vest. So Cricket and I ran around taking pictures of the YMOD at the Mexican place, the YMOD at the bass shop, the YMOD at the Dollar General. So we got a bunch of those. That was pretty fun. The YMOD under a giant fish looking like it's going to eat my head. Uh, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome, you know, so uh, that was fun. Oh, there we go. Yeah, 
Yep, 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 that's me, YMOD there. I had to wear it all day long. But I got a gift card. <laughs> was not worth it. But they loved it, so I was happy with it. Guys, I want you to look at this with me because I had to start a week early, right? I was at camp last week. I knew I wouldn't get the studying in, so I started the week before really looking over. Uh, well, I was going to look at the next passage, right? The next passage is a full, it's like uh, uh, Lazarus, all right? And the, the rich man and Lazarus, and, and, and I'm like, oh, good, another story. But there are three verses stuck in the middle. Listen to me, for no apparent reason whatsoever. In fact, I'm going to guarantee that 90% of the people in this room have never heard the first two. I, I couldn't have quoted them if you'd asked me to. You're going to be like, what? And so I'm reading them, and then I'm going to get to the last one, and you guys are going to understand this. Then I'm going to get to the last one, and I was like, oh, Lord. And I started reading, and I started reading. I downloaded five full sermons from five different places and I'm reading and I'm reading this is last Monday and last Tuesday and I'm I'm struggling struggling I didn't even get to the one that didn't make any sense I'm struggling you're gonna see it you're gonna know why I was struggling it's fine and then I was like all right normally by this time you know 48 hours I'm 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 living large I know what I'm gonna say I got it no no okay and it's good because God spoke and God helped me work through this contextually but just so that you knew where I was, you've got the story of the steward and then you've got the story of the rich man and Lazarus, which will be next week. And then you've got these verses. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of the pen to drop out of the law. How many of you have heard that verse before? Exactly. What's going on there? Don't know? Okay. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And a man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And that's the end of the three verses. It goes into another story. Huh? For real? Then Luke was a doctor. She said somebody didn't take their meds that day. I mean, really? Does anybody else? How many of you want to take this on? Especially if, you're, if you've gone through a divorce. Oh, time out. Especially if you and the person that you married was divorced also. Yeah, no. Anybody want to do it in a Baptist church? For real. Now, I'm glad y'all love me. I am. I don't know why, but I'm thankful. Some of the things that I'm going to say today are difficult for me. Listen to me. Some of the things I'm going to say today, you are not going to like. You're not. I refuse to say anything today to justify my own actions or to allow you to justify yours. Nor do I want you to feel guilty for things in your past. Nor do I want to keep you from bright things in the future. 
but you do not bend and twist God's word so that your future is the way you want it. God's rules, God's word is God's word. Okay? So let's back up three verses. Refresh. Yeah, you want me to do the, okay. Just so that we don't have um, stuff happening again, I'm going to close this puppy down somehow. There we go. All right. And open it up again so that maybe there's not this constant, because that'll, that'll mess the whole message up if we're, if Preston, you know, I don't know, we, we, he didn't know, I don't know why it's doing it. Okay. Sunday morning, sermon, big button, squeeze. There we go. Oh, except you took those, you took some of the verses out. I'm going to, I actually, since they were in there, I was going to use them, but that's okay. Uh, that's on me. All right. So let's go back to this first one. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. Okay. I, I know what this says. Okay. But I didn't understand all three verses until I was able to back up the context into the last story. Okay, when you if you look in your Bibles the way they are, it has the story and then it has a new heading and it has additional teachings or something. And then um, what you want me to do this? Oh, thanks. Additional teachings and stuff. And then it has um, the, the next story. But the bottom line is, I believe I believe that Jesus is still dropping nuggets <laughs> on the people he was talking to. I don't, I don't think the story's finished. I think if we were reading this straight through without the heading, that's when we get context, okay? Jesus is going old school on them. He's playing into their knowledge of the Torah, their knowledge of what priests and, and rabbis did, their knowledge of how they learned and memorized scripture, their knowledge of what the yoke of the rabbi was, which we've talked about before. Each rabbi uh, defined differently what the, 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 the people who followed him would do. So their disciples maybe could carry something for five steps on Sunday, but this rabbi allowed 10 steps. This church, let me take it to today, takes communion every Sunday. This church takes communion once a quarter. This church takes communion on holidays. There are different ways of interpreting things, all right? And it was the rabbi's job to interpret it the best they could. This is the context of all three of these verses. Why? Because at the end of the passage, he turns to the Pharisees and says, the Pharisees who loved money heard his story about the steward, right? The, the odd one from last week, and we're sneering. And this is when I said, hey, did you ever notice that when you preach on something, uh, it's the people who are going, yeah, right, or it's the people who are going, well, I didn't like what he said, that actually needed to hear it, right? It's the ones, you know, if you preach on tithing, nobody who tithes ever gets upset. The people who don't tithe are the ones that get upset. When you preach on money, people who are not good with their money are the ones that don't like to hear it, all right? But everybody else does. When you preach on a sin and people are involved in that sin, let's talk about divorce today, yes, and you have half of the country who's divorced, which means likely half of you are divorced, which means likely half of us have lived in some kind of sin at that moment, and we don't want to hear it. 
So the Pharisees, they are the good guys. So it's even worse when you're the preacher. It's even worse when you're the head. It's even worse when you're teaching and everybody looks at you as one who is supposed to be all good and holy, right? And it's you doing the stuff or it's you who were in the sin as it were, right? So the Pharisees were like, well, money is absolutely fine. And, you know, we all know, everybody in the Bible knows that the Pharisees were absolutely in the high echelon of the um, monetary society of their time because they made a lot of money and they were asked, uh, they asked the people for a lot of money and they did it among themselves, right? They did it justly according to the laws, but they were still, you know, they could have helped the poor or done all kinds of things with it. So they were sneering at Jesus and Jesus said, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Now listen to me, because this is going to play into where we are today. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What he does now is he goes college professor on them without saying, let me explain this to you. He didn't have to. They were smart men and everybody heard him doing it, but he wasn't talking to everybody. He was talking to them. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Everything you guys have memorized is all well and good. And I said, I came to fulfill the law, all right? But the grace of God and the cross of Christ also upended the law, right? You have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. So we as Christians have to figure out how to differentiate between the Old Testament law and follow it as God would have intended and use the spirit of God which was sent to us to help us interpret it and collectively listen to the sayings of Jesus because Jesus never, listen to me, contradicted God. That's not possible because Jesus is God and any contradiction between Jesus and God would mean there was some kind of differentiation which then messes everything else up. Everything else is messed up, all right? If Jesus contradicts God, none of it's true. You can't have one falsity in truth. It's still false. That's why Bruce Willis said in the last Boy Scout, every great lie has 80% truth to it. The best lies in the world are almost true. And good arguers, good attorneys, good prosecutors, good debaters know that. And the best of them only, they don't even lie. The best of them only give you the portion of the truth that is true, leaving out the rest. Our society has gotten amazingly good at that. Listen to me. We believe in a ton of things, a ton of things that, that I, I, I don't believe in. There have been a lot of things rise up over the last three or four years that people uh, want to back and claim are true and all of that. Listen to me. They are based on good knowledge. Their arguments are sound, listen to me, but they are incomplete. And that makes them false. There's the problem. You can hear something that sounds so true and you can go, well, then it's true. Well, wait, what about 
until you have somebody with some wisdom going, yeah, but if that were true, wouldn't this be true? And here's what happens next, yelling and screaming. That's what happens next, yelling and screaming and name calling instead of civil discussion. That's what happens next. I don't care if you are right or left. I don't care. That's what happens next. And you're both wrong. Okay? If you can't sit down and have a civil conversation, you're wrong. More than that, more than that, if you're sitting in these pews and the truth doesn't start with Scripture, you're wrong. Don't care how you feel. And I said this to the teenagers. Your feelings don't change the truth. The truth don't care about your feelings. They didn't care about mine this week. Jesus basically looks at these guys and says things to them that only they would be ticked off by. He's like, oh, he drops a couple of under his breaths. Okay, so that's the way you need to read this. Oh, yeah, 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 the law and the prophets. All of that stuff that you guys memorized, went to school, been waiting for, all of those things. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. This tracks. See, this totally tracks with what Luke does. Luke is using the words of Jesus to go back and say, this is what I've been saying all along. Remember in Luke, we started with John the Baptist. We talked about a baptism of repentance. We talked about the fact that we needed to turn away even from the things that we know of the church because religious laws aren't what makes us holy. Jesus is what makes us holy and we need to figure out why the religious laws and Jesus don't go against each other, why they coexist. And if we repent, that God allows us to turn back to him and be a part of his family and it is him that carries us forward and not not how good we are or not how many laws we keep because that becomes of us. And he's saying, you guys still don't get it. I've been walking around for years with people following me who are coming to me and you are following me and you're just trying to get under my skin. You're just trying to prove me wrong. You're just trying to say things that aren't true and you're using the law to do it and you're losing miserably. And everyone is forcing their way into it. This is a really weird passage because to say all men or to say everyone is a little bit of a hyperbole or an exaggeration, okay? What he, what he is saying isn't literally everyone, but if I said, hey man, we went to camp and everyone had a great time, you guys wouldn't go, I'm part of everyone and I didn't have a good time. I didn't mean everyone. I meant the whole, all right? So you need to hear this like that and that will help. Those who are getting excited about the gospel, all of those people by the sea that were baptized, all of those people by the sea that listened to Jesus preach from the boat, all of the people who followed him to the side of the mountain and listened to the Sermon on the Mount, all of the people who tracked around the lake, all right, after he fed the 5,000 and listened to him heal, they are, and I want you to hear, forcing, that word also means um, 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 to clamor, it also means to, to um, um, uh, it, 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 the idea is that they're pushing into, that they're clamoring to get to. Jesus is saying those who are captivated by the true words and not the rules are clamoring to get in. Think Black Friday. 
When you know there's something inside that you want and the doors open and it even causes issues, right? People are clamoring for a truth. And what he's saying to them is they're clamoring for something that you ain't teaching. They're tired of your lists. They're tired of your tired words. I didn't say that the law wasn't worthwhile. I'm saying that you are making the law supreme and it is not. I am. And I know that you don't want to admit that because that takes away your power. It takes away your authority because all authority, exousia, has been given to me. Which he did what at the end of Matthew? It has been given to you. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. But since that time, the kingdom of God is being preached. Since John the Baptist, there's a new there's a new kid in town. The Messiah is here. And there are people clamoring to get to the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are you with me so far? It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Now, Jesus is defending the law and commandments handed down by God to Moses in this way. Remember that I told you that in the Old Testament, for people to learn the commandments, you had to figure out, okay, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. At, do, uh, remember the Sabbath and do no work. Do no work. Do not work. Neither your maidservants or your handservants or your oxen, nothing should work. Well, what if we don't have water for that day? Do I not pull the thing and, and work to get the thing up? Some rabbis would say, no, draw it on the day before. Well, it won't get cold. Other rabbis would then go, yes, you can draw it, but do it before 6 a.m. and don't do it again until after 6 p.m. There were different rabbis. But what eventually happened, which you all are seeing magnified by a thousand times, is excuses began to be made for the feelings, the desire of the people. And as such, it began to skew and began to pervert the law as it had been preached. And the perversion of the law, even by the rabbis, is not permissible. It's easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for even an apostrophe in God's law to be wrong. And this is why he, he, it is not about divorce. He simply drops an example. He simply drops an example, and that's why there's no explanation. And here's the example that he gives. Nope. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's throwing that out there <coughs> because one of the things that people use one of the things that people use when they're talking about 
giving reasons for divorce to be okay is if you go back to the Old Testament and to some of the rabbis, there were laws that were made that said, as long as you give basically written notice, hand your wife a piece of paper with whatever reason you need to and legally unbind her from you, then divorce is permissible. There were rabbis, there were teachers, there were Pharisees who went that far. Okay, And so their interpretation of the law led them to allow for divorce. Now, having studied this extensively, I can tell you that some people will tell you there is only one way that divorce is permissible. Others will tell you that there are two ways. Okay, Biblically, I am going to tell you that there are three. Three, number one, death, that's a given, not your fault, nothing you did, in the Bible, death, number two, adultery, adultery, okay, number three, it has to do scripturally in the New Testament with staying with Someone who will not be a believer, who absolutely refuses to come into or in line with the Lord, okay? And there are some provisions set out there that are, they're not as boxed in as I wish they were, okay? But scripturally speaking, we can talk about that, but it, it, it is there, okay? Here's the problem. What about what's not there? Now, when I was struggling through what happened in my life, I knew this one thing and I have landed here ever since. I cannot be anti-divorce 100% of the time. Don't, don't, don't read in 99 or 97. I cannot be anti-divorce 100% of the time. Here's why. The Bible's not. It actually gives at least two ways out. So that's not 100%. I am pro-marriage 100% of the time. I am pro-marriage 100% of the time. What God has put together, let no man tear apart. Okay? Now, we get to the situations that people come to, which is, again, why I don't agree with writing everything down and making every law and then adding a law to a law and adding amendment to an amendment for everything because it's never the same. What Cicely might go through is not the same as what Jamie might go through is not the same as, as what Abby might go through is not the same as what Cassandra might go through, okay? Well, Craig, what do I do in those instances? Well, you go to your rabbi. That is what you do. You go to your rabbi, to your counselor, to your teacher, to your pastor, to the one that you have given authority over your spiritual life. And you hope that they give you the most wise and godly counsel that God provides for them. And then you make up your mind accordingly. Because then, ha, 
It falls still upon you, but it also falls upon them. How I direct you falls upon me when we get to the kingdom. The elders are all. I've told you the story over and over again. I think Steve Celine was ready. I am sure Steve Celine was ready. But at Starbucks outside, when I talked to him, he knew that it was coming and his response was, I don't know that I want that responsibility. Period. And I went, there's my guy. You don't want it unless God calls you to it. You do not want it. You still don't want it, but you better go after it with all that you are. And that's why I'm confident. I am in with all that I am because I know that he called me. I know that. And his call never changed. So I've used this example before. So we have a, I have a woman that comes into my office. Not, I'm making this up. And I notice that she's frail, but I can't, I can't see anything physically wrong. I just know that she moves a little differently, that she holds herself differently, that her clothes are very, very baggy. And so as we get into this relationship she has with her husband, I find out that recently, in the last two years, he took a kitchen knife and stabbed her between her shoulders and her waist 22 times. And she survived. And she had sought counsel from a pastor who had said, this is not grounds for divorce, you must go back. And he had done it again. And the same pastor said, this is not grounds for divorce. You must go. Folks, I can't live there. Do I believe that it's grounds for divorce according to the scripture? No. However, however, I also know what God says about murder. And what his intent was, was not lesson teaching. You with me? I know what God says about how he wants the marriage relationship to be. I know what God says about leaving a non-believer who refuses to believe. And I cannot send a woman back into that. I don't know that I can say divorce him. But I can say run away. And I will deal with the divorce issue as we play that out together. Do you remember when I taught you that the Bible is sufficient but not exhaustive? This is one of those times. I don't believe there's enough ways to list all the reasons that Jesus and his Holy Spirit would allow a man or a woman to be out. Okay? What I do know, and this is where the rubber meets the road. What I do know is that we've started erasing apostrophes. I do know that we have started making excuses for ourselves and bending the will of God to a place that it is not. The Pharisees had said, as long as you let her know, it's okay. And they had gotten to a place where even in Jesus's culture, this was still happening. And Jesus said, that's on y'all. You bent and twisted to satisfy the masses and you cannot. What the Bible says is law is law. And that's where the conviction began to fall on me. I have never, and I will not this morning. I have never, and I will not this morning, talk about the other party in my marriage. 
that was a costly decision to make. Because when there were no answers, people filled in the blanks. That was hard. Great news is it was not hard for my children. They didn't know. And as long as another party hasn't spoken in for any reason, they, they, they... Here's what I'm going to say. I knew that the Bible said these things. I knew that there was a context for these things. I never got taken to this passage and studied it in this way. But I have said, and I'm going to say again, I gave up. For whatever reasons you care to put in your mind, they don't make my truth. I ran out of gas. That's not in the law. And I have always said, if you're going to point fingers, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of flesh in me that wants to say things, but you point the finger at me. I have said it for 10 years and I will keep on saying it. You point your finger at me. And for all that I can find in the scriptures, I was wrong. I was wrong. And I've had to repent of that. I've had to sit across the table at a coffee shop and say, I am sorry. And I was very clear about what I was sorry for when God finally spoke to me. I talked to you about it or I talked to, actually I talked to the kids about it recently. Do you know the difference in infidelity and adultery? Anybody? Infidelity and adultery. Okay. I am guilty of infidelity. And here's what that means. Broken vows. When, the, when, when Moses came down off the mountain and they had the fatted calf, all of those people were punished for their infidelity. Do you know what suicide bombers yell when they come down? Infidels. You infidels. The accusation is infidelity against Allah, okay? Broken vows against our God by being who you are. I stood on an altar and I said, I won't run out of gas. I won't give up. We had a mantra, divorce is not an option. And for whatever reason, whatever reason I give, and I have them. I'm okay. I wouldn't change Jamie for the world. But I don't deserve Jamie because of what happened. At the same time, God can still bless with a nugget by his grace, by his repentance, by his confession. It took a coffee shop, I'm sorry. It took a cry over the mountains of, North Car uh, of Virginia into North Carolina while I'm listening to a book about Moses and learning about my sin and crying out to God going, that, that is why I heard and that is what I need you to free me of. And I was there before I got here. Okay. But having said that, having said that, Craig, 
there's going to be some real conviction of my heart because I'm a divorcee and it wasn't about adultery and it wasn't about him or her being a non-Christian. We just didn't get along. We weren't treated well. We got married too young. It just didn't work out. Uh, we fought too much. Can't give you any of those. I can't stand up in front of you and tell you that I haven't done it, but I can stand up in front of you and say, I can't give you any of those. Well, Craig, does that mean if I have had a really bad divorce and I remarry, I'm guilty? Yes. Listen to me. I know that you don't want to hear what I'm saying. Everything I can find in the scripture says yes. You have to make a call against God. Did I know that six, seven years ago? I did not. Do I know it today and have I had to deal with it for the past week and a half? I have. Well, Craig, is there a way? <sighs> Come sit in my office. Let's talk. Let's pray. Let's figure it out. Well, am I going to be single the rest of my days? Let's talk. Let's pray. Let's figure it out. I have to make you this promise. I will take you to the scriptures. I will love you deeply. And we'll figure it out together. And then you are more than welcome to make your call. Because God is still a God of grace. But you cannot go into it saying, ah, God's going to forgive me and it's what I want. Then we get back to the reason these scriptures exist. Excuse me. Right here. I don't tell you what I tell you because you're going to get mad at me because it's what you want. God doesn't care what you want. He cares about what's best for you. Because of that, I'm always going to tell you everything I know to be truth. I'm going to tell you what I did right and what I did wrong. I'm going to tell you God forgives you, but I'm going to tell you what will hurt you before you get there. Ask anybody over here. Do you understand? Love does that. Okay? This is difficult. This is on multiple levels. This is hard. I can tell you that my heart is clean. Not, not because there's no lust or no pride or no arrogance or no uh, who knows of the things that God wants. I just named off the ones that I know the devil uses against me and that I have to be aware of. You should know yours too. G.I. <laughs> Joe says knowing is half the battle, right? Good scriptural stuff right there. We cannot bend scripture to please politics. We cannot bend scripture to please race, creed, color, sexuality, denomination. We cannot. Scripture is scripture and heaven and earth will fall into the sea before we have the ability to change the period at the end of a sentence of the law. So I will preach Jesus Christ and him crucified to the best of my knowledge without saying I get to do this and he'll forgive me later. Don't do that. I don't know what, I've, I, don't know what I would have done differently or the same. Had I known this verse this way nine years ago? You can't. 
I'd be an idiot to try to tell you what I would have, should have, could have done. I can tell you that God and I had a powwow over the last nine days, though, about confession, about repentance, about hope, about chewing up on your trash a little bit, about being humble, and about all things made new, and about the blessings that he can still do. Amazing grace. What? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And then I get blind again, and then I, and then I get blind again, and then, I, and then I fall again, and then I... Where's your heart? Did you fall and not know? Did you fall and know exactly what you're doing? Did you premeditate the fall knowing? All different with your relationship with God. Okay? What's the point of the passage? My law is my law. No matter what you think, how it makes you feel, or whether or not you believe it's true. You don't get to use it for your good. You don't get to use it for your gain. You don't get to use it for anything but my glory. And if you bring my glory, I have already promised you all I want to do is your good. I can promise you all I want to do is your gain. I can promise you all I do is win, 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 no matter. I think Jesus would have said that. I love you. If you have any questions, come find me. We will work our salvation out with fear and trembling together. Okay? Let's pray. God, my prayer is that, God, my, my, my selfish prayer is that I was true to um, your words spoken literally by your son, uh, written by Mark and recorded in this section of this book. I pray that, 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 that honesty and, and integrity and, and confession and repentance will not only draw me closer to you, but will draw each one of, of the people in this room closer to you. And, and, and then in that way, draw all of us closer together. I pray that we walk the hard journeys together. I pray that I know the answers when the hard questions come. And I pray that I don't just know the answers with my lips, that I know them in my spirit, that I've meditated on your word, that your word I have treasured in my heart so that I might not sin. I pray that Stephen knows that. I pray that Spencer knows that. I pray that our staff lives and swims in that. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.